listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your host, Rob McClure. Political, nostalgic, simply built but hard to assemble. Jennifer Jolly is the co-founder of North American New Opera Workshop, NanoWorks Opera, a chamber opera company devoted to developing and staging short contemporary operas by emerging North American composers. And she also authors Why Compose When You Can Blog, a weblog about contemporary composing. She is an assistant professor of composition at Ohio Wesleyan University, and her most recent piece was commissioned by Mason Middle School for Grade 1 Band. Our conversation centered around her recent commissions from Quince and the Vermont Symphony Orchestra titled Prisoner of Conscience and the Ferry Crossing. The first thing I wanted to talk to you about was your uh, your piece Pr- Prisoner of Conscience. And first, what drew you artistically to the Pussy Riot story on which this piece is based? So this is kind of a funny story, kind of a little bit of a confession, because honestly, I didn't think I'd be writing a Pussy Riot song cycle until chatting with my librettist. So I was speaking with um, with Liz of Quince and she's like, yeah, yeah, we're thinking about commissioning you. You know, you've been on our radar. This would be really cool. And she's giving me the lowdown of what Quince is more or less looking for. They're like, well, we like words. You know, we like to tell a story. And I was like, words are good, dude, yeah. dude, I get you. Words are kind of good. They're, you know, like, I, I understand, like, using the voice as an instrument at the same time they are singers, right? <laughs> singers <laughs> who actually do like acting on stage and like t- telling a story. So um, she said, we like words. We also like things with, like, other languages. I'm like, okay, cool, cool. I said, let me text my librettist and see if she'd be down with this project because I have this librettist whom I've worked with for over a decade and she's going fantastic right so I'm like texting my librettist on Facebook he's like hey Quince would like me to write a piece would you like to be on board and you know they're like a female quartet acapella and they you know they, they want to tell a story and basically my librettist was like pussy write song cycle I was like what <laughs> that's amazing right so in turn I'm also Facebook messaging Liz going like hey so my librettist just got back to me um, Pussy Riot Song Cycle. She's like, oh my God, that is like weapons grade awesome. I don't exactly remember what exactly she said. She's like, yes, let's do it. Um, so that's was kind of the idea. I definitely remember when the story of Pussy Riot broke out, I was freaking out because I'm like, oh my goodness, this is like, you know, I'm in child of the 80s. This reminded me of Cold War Russia right? Yeah, from like when I was a child, like not quite knowing what was going on, probably because it was the Reagan era thinking like, you know, Russia's evil and godless and communist. And this is why communism is bad because they have no freedoms. But I have to admit when, you know, you hear about the pussy right women like being arrested and then they're jailed because of a silly protest. You know, I saw the protest video. I'm like, holy crap, this still kind of goes on. So I I feel like this is just a fortuitous thing for me to kind of express musically what happened, but also like write a punk piece. So it's like a punk piece saying like an F you to the Russian establishment that is Putin, um, which is something that Pussy Ray was kind of doing. It's just like maybe like once or twice removed. Uh, But that's that's the story. That's the story and how that came to be. 
What was the what was the process of developing the text? I mean, did you just leave it to your librettist? Your librettist name is Kendall A. She she just goes yes, by that? yes. She goes by Kendall A. So I asked her in hindsight. I'm like, how did you come up with that idea so ridiculously fast? And the truth of the matter is, ever since she found out about you know, the Pussy Riot, the rest and trial of Pussy Riot, she's like, this would, I need to write about this as an artist. Um, and she's kind of had this idea in the back burner of, you know, a song cycle, mm-hmm. um, just to do a song cycle set, but she didn't know in which form. And so when Quince came along, it was like, that, that was perfect. So it was basically her ideas for words. And that's usually how we work. We do brainstorm. So what will happen is my librettist will kind of come up with an initial context, or maybe I'll think of something, but we kind of talk with each other and brainstorm it. But this was mostly hers. Um, The idea of, let's say the eight, specifically eight, I think I was telling her that Quince wanted maybe a 15 to 20 minute piece. Um, and then, so she was trying to get the structure and the format. And then while I was thinking about this, I was like, conceptually speaking, I was like, Pussy Riot was arrested in a church. So why don't I intersperse motets, like punk motets with punk music, if that makes sense. So kind of like an alternation with that. And I think from that, my librettist got ideas of specific texts, like things that sounded more up-tempo and things that sounded slower or more like motet-like, if that makes any sense. Fuck 
construction. The lighting is up.
was I mean I know the uh, you have readings between between the um, the movements which are mm-hmm. taken from the um, the closing statements of their trial is that right Yes yes so what about what about the actual poetry was any of that um, inspired by Pussy Riot lyrics or you know pieces they've done or anything like that I would say yes it's kind of like from what I remember talking with Kendall, it's like her version of street art. And I think that's, that's kind of in the program notes there. But she listened to a lot of Pussy Wright was looking at their lyrics. And there's some instances where I think one or two places, and I'm not exactly sure where in the song cycle, where it is like a five-word quote from something. Mm, okay. Um, I think definitely in the second to the last movement, it says, open your doors or throw off your epaulets, open your doors, come taste freedom with us. That is from a Pussy Riot song. And even I forget which member of Pussy Riot said this, but she also included that line in her closing statement. Right. Yeah. So it's like scattered here and there. And then furthermore, there was even a movement because not only was the the arrest and trial of Pussy Riot kind of like shocking, or at least it was shocking to me and kind of a travesty. But at the same time, over the past few months, when I was writing this piece and when um, Kendall was coming up with the libretto, we also had police shootings of uh, black men, you know, like Trayvon Martin and like, and, and all this stuff. And it was right. just disturbing to us. And so, and then you think about like kind of the spirit of punk, which is like very much like anti-establishment, anti the man. And there is a song by the clash called police and thieves. And my librettist is like, I really want a police and thieves movement in here which was taken from um oh junior mervin okay so junior mervin had this original reggae like police and thieves in the streets you know um basically questioning well who are the thieves you know what i'm saying yeah. because you have like corrupted police force the clash obviously a very well-known punk band did a cover of it mm-hmm. and then my librettist was like dude, this is so appropriate with what's going on right now in our country. And therefore we made kind of like our own version. So I did like, um, yes, there's a little bit of like reggae in there. I kind of see it as like, I'm a white girl, (laughs) my white girl reggae. And I tried not to make it like exactly like it, but um, just thinking, well, you know, Phil and Bolcom can do it. I think I might, (laughs) you know, because I saw his songs and songs of uh, innocence and experience live in Orange County um, when I was an undergrad. And he closes with this powerful, you know, um, powerful tune. Um, and I, I, you know, I hope I hope I did it justice. You know, this is kind of like I am really upset with like the police force in this country. Not, of course, like they're not all bad. They're really not. But just like, you know, when like a 12 year old black kid gets shot and dies i'm just i kind of just don't know what to do with myself besides maybe express it in music or given the opportunity to express it through music i think i will try to express myself i mean unfortunately there has been no shortage of that kind of stuff recently it seems no i mean it yeah it's for for a i would say like a good year there you couldn't turn on the news without seeing new reports of and I think, and I think that this was the problem that 
it was happening regardless. We d- the news just wasn't covering it, you know. Yes, um, and that's I the do problem. Have, you know? Yeah, yeah, it, correct. So, like, I do. I think I saw as silly as this sounds on Facebook. Um, one of my English colleagues, her specialty is more or less like black English literature. Um, I don't know exactly which time period or specifically what, but she was chiming in. She's like, actually, this has been going on for a very long time. It's just that we've had more like cameras and news coverage of it. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. It's ridiculous and kind of like disheartening. Um, (laughs) So so do you, I mean, do you see, do you see a connection in, in, I mean, you, you kind of already already mentioned but there it seems like there is a connection between as as much as we don't want to think about it there there certainly is this connection between russia with the pussy riot situation and america with all the shootings that are going on i mean there just this just this idea that there you know there are still a lot of human rights injustices going on all over the place even though we we think we like to think we're we're evolved past that. Yeah, I mean, even on a artistic superficial level, maybe superficial is not the correct word here. Um, Pussy Riot did release their first English punk piece was "I Can't Breathe," <laughs> which is dedicated to Eric Gardner. You know, the guy who said "I can't breathe" right. and like ended up dying. Um, I, I definitely see a correlation of an abuse of power, if I were to blanketly say that. Do you know right, what I'm saying? Yeah. It's about controlling voices and controlling people in a really immoral way, in my opinion. Um, so I do see a connection, definitely not to speak for my librettist, but I think she definitely sees a connection to it. And that's why, again, while like she had the idea of the Pussy Riot song cycle, but it wasn't until, let's say, a month before the piece was completed where she's like, we need a police and thieves movement in here. Right. And I'm like, yes, we do. Yes.
So some of the text is just brutally graphic and at, so bad. Well, and <laughs> no, it should it absolutely should be because of the subject matter. If it was, you know, kind of sugarcoated, it would it would just ring false. Correct. So so I'm but I'm particularly thinking of the movement Putin will teach you how to love. And can you talk about the dichotomy between the text and the musical treatment of that text? So structurally speaking, I would say that it was the fourth movement. I wanted something up-tempo and then something more like motet-y. And it seemed like that the even movements at that time were kind of more motet-y. Okay? And the concept of that was they were arrested in a church. And I kind of wanted to reflect that. And how to make, let's see, like how to make it as grotesque as possible is to kind of juxtapose these like graphic lyrics with something that sounds sacred if that makes right. sense yeah. so even in the title putin will teach you how to love the motherland it's like to to not sugarcoat the description of this text it's like putin raping you that's pretty much what it is um and so I was like, you know what? We're going to make it sound like what Putin says to his country, kind of like religion. Do you know what I'm saying? So like mm -hmm. using some kind of like motet-y treatment of this and then just kind of using some like text painting, you know, kind of the, the line we fucked her over and over again. So I repeat that. But like in mm -hmm. the motet tradition, you do have a lot of text repetition. Um, but just making it seem like a calm, this is more of a fact. She will like this. Putin will teach you how to love. You have no say in this. But, and I thought that like the motet church e setting would kind of be like Putin's propaganda in mm -hmm. having you accept what this is. And so it's very pretty music, or at least I think it kind of is. And you listen to it and you're like, oh, that's delightful. Oh, the words are, oh, this is awful. This is so bad. Right, yeah. That, 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 was, a, that was exactly my experience when I was listening to it. I, 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 wasn't looking at the, I wasn't looking at the text while I was listening to it, but all of a sudden all these fucks came in and I was like, whoa. And then I really started to key in on on the lines which mm -hmm. you know the is is one of the last lines and she will like it yeah uh, the last line was we knew that she must like it oh my god yeah and that was that was just horrifying it's so bad I, like i actually I, thought mentally speaking and maybe i am a little bit more of a visual person but you know cuz i'm writing for quins and they're this like female quartet and it'd be like I almost, I almost imagined like nurses treating a rape victim who work for the Russian government being, you right. know, they're treating, but they're like, oh, well, you must have, oh, 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 you, you had sex. Oh, that's great. You know, and we'll, we'll help you out. But, you know, almost kind of like a propaganda of like, no, honey, you weren't raped. You must like it <laughs> type of idea, right. but have a yeah. musical translation of that. Oh, the lyrics are awful. I mean, they're wonderful, but they're like, they're disturbing. They're so disturbing.
I think it was even made made more clear by by the fact that you're using this you know motet texture the you know uh more traditional harmonic materials and yeah it it definitely sends a message or or i don't know it 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 prompts it promotes like this feeling of just oh you know it Mm -hmm. it almost makes you and and I, th- but I think that's that's really really effective, you know, Thanks. because yeah. as as listeners, we should be, you know, we we should be kind of almost disgusted by this mm-hmm. because that's that's what that is what is happening essentially. Mm-hmm. So in between the movements, there are readings um, from the oh, uh, uh, what is it the. The trial, or like the statements yeah. from the trial. Yeah, readings from the trial. Mm-hmm. So, can you can you tell me about, I guess, why you included these readings, and particularly if there were, if there was any performative intention, because it's direct source material, and mm-hmm. I I found that, kind of the the longer the longer readings were. There, there was something about the way they were performed. Like it was just like, okay, th- this is long, so we got to get through it. And I think mm-hmm. the one that worked for me the most was the "Was it art?" Reading. Me too. So the f- the interesting thing was, Kendall was like, you know what? I feel that it would be cool and somewhat effective, actually, to have these statements in between these movements. Um, but she originally said they could be optional. Like they they don't have to go with the performance. It's like, it'd be nice. I remember talking to Elizabeth. She's like, no, we're totally going to read them. I'm like, okay, cool. Definitely cool. Cause they are substantial readings. Um, but musically speaking, the whole, like, uh, was it art? It was witchcraft. Um, I was hearing a text setting that I couldn't actually put to music. I felt like it needed to be spoken. I thought it needed to be chaotic. Right. And it was one of those where I coached Quince and I said, Okay, so 10 times you don't have to be like, etobilo is gufsvo. Wow, yes, I don't have Russian diction right there. You know, but but just kind of like an overlap, kind of make it chaotic because it's supposed to be like a big fuck you. Like, you know, was it art? And this the snide comment is like, it was witchcraft. But how cool would it be to just read it 10 times and just increase in intensity and add like a crescendo or something like that? And to me, that sounds poetic, the interspersement of the Russian and the English and then hearing it was witchcraft, it was art, was it art? You know, like those things on top of each other, um, musically speaking, made sense to me. I think because it was the entire quartet participating in that mm-hmm. one, it, it made it seem, I guess that, that particular moment of the, re, uh, of all the readings was the most effective. Whereas the, the other ones, I mean, don't take this the wrong way, but it kind of sounded like they were reading instructions, you know? 
Right. So I was right. I was wondering if you if you gave them I mean if you wanted them to read it in a more dramatic way or if you wanted it read dry or you you didn't give them instruction. I did not give them instruction. Like okay. I think my main focus was um having them, you know, kind of act up the different movements like musical movements i did give them instruction with the was it art it was witchcraft but the other readings i think they just read them uh the the thing that got me thinking about this was the was it art piece because that, that actually sounds more like a maybe like a fixed media treatment yes to me, yes you know mm-hmm. so i was one like i was wondering with the other movements would it be effective to just have them be not not read live but have have a fixed media kind of treatment of it so maybe Ooh, like yes yes i see s- some some words can overlap somewhat you know some like you i i don't know that that that's just an idea but the the was it art stood out so so much from the rest of them and i liked it so much that that it just kind of prompted that idea. What if what if all the readings were fixed media? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've been thinking about this because um, yeah, just like what you said, like listening to the premiere performance, I was like, okay, so the readings in between did sound a little rushed. Um, and then I've had some of my close colleagues listen to it. And one of my colleagues said like, um, I think the readings are a little bit long. And I was like thinking about it and I like re-listened again. And then, you know, I actually performed the readings in between myself. This might be something I addressed with my librettist. And again, I don't think she would mind because they're not her words. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right, yeah, Like exactly. if there were a way to kind of like now the the treatment of was it art was witchcraft, I think it works so well. Maybe uh, she could find something similar to do with the text that's, again, not hers and just try to find a different poetic treatment of it. Does that make sense? So, yeah, um, well, kind of o- similar in your vein, is... too. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, no. I was going to say similar to like kind of your idea of like well, the, the o- fixed format And the other treatment. thing was, I wonder if there is actually audio of these closing statements in Russian. Ooh. <laughs> that would sound amazing <laughs> sorry that would just uh and now this this might even be a separate piece let's be honest that was just in itself yeah <laughs> just just cool. like you know pris- prisoner of conscience part two or whatever or, 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 or just even like completely if, divorced from it you know yeah like just like they can be in the same venue it could be like even playing in the background as a fixed format piece like be like a an, an overture yeah, to, yeah, 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 like this piece. Yeah, I'm I'm open to that. I honestly am because I like I like the text in between. But if we're thinking about timing, which is like our jobs as composers, right? We manipulate time. <laughs> we have to kind of yeah. gauge. Well, how long does this take? Um, so that's why I think initially my libretta said, "Oh, is it optional?" And then Quince is like, "No, we really love. We'll read it." I'm like, "Cool," and they did a great job. And now, like, I think that it's been performed a couple times. I'm like, okay, so what edits need to be done? That might be one of them. And I think that's fine. Man, this, this, this sounds like, well, it could, it could, could turn into kind of a multimedia opera type, type situation. You know, you know, it could. I mean, this piece 
is more or less operatic. I'm not officially calling it opera because it hasn't been staged. It can be, though. If somebody wants to direct it, I wouldn't be opposed to staging it. Um, I well, actually, and, you, and you have a, a pretty significant um, connection to opera with NanoWorks, right? Yes, yes. So can, um, you, can you talk about NanoWorks a little bit? Sure. So um, this more or less started in 2012 with my librettist and I, same librettist, um, getting rejected for certain projects. And we just like, she had like a few, I guess they are political operas because um, we worked on this opera called The Bubble, which is about the housing bubble. And it's more or less kind of like a Charlie Chaplin-esque or Bertolt Breckian type treatment of the housing bubble where it's like really dark humor and everybody goes home happy because they get a house <laughs> because it's pre 2008. So right. it's cool, man. You can totally use your student loans to pay for your mortgage. <laughs> you don't need to have a down payment. Like, you know, everybody, everybody has a home, you know, we didn't know about like collateral debt obligations and all those things. Um, but anyway, so like we had, like she had this idea of like the housing bubble, which I really liked and i had a lot of fun writing this piece i mean eventually because i was like this is just like scoring a silent film we even have like a silent character called the ditz who's supposed to be this college student and she's the one who figures out well she, she inadvertently figures out maybe figures out is a strong word but how to how to like get a house <laughs> with no money down it's basically you know like the housing market greed which is like you are a person with a pulse sign here Right. Everybody pays their mortgage payment. So so anyway, um there was this new program with Washington National Opera. Um, or it's like some kind of like young I, I'd probably have to I'm not really sure what the name of it is, but they started it in twenty twelve and they asked a few conservatories to like put forward composer librettist teams. And they're like they want an American story and they wanted like maybe something funny. Um and we thought that the story about the housing bubble was definitely an American story and thought it was funny. Um, we lost. Um, but like ultimately, I think as composers, there comes a point where you just want your stuff performed anyway. You know what I mean? Right. Like, it, yeah. like it just needs to happen. It needs to be birthed. And yes, maybe some people will not help you with the birthing process, but at the same time, I felt like this project needed to happen. And so that's when we're like, okay, fine. Maybe we just need to start producing things ourselves. And the thing is, I haven't written a lot of operas. I know I have this reputation of being an opera composer. I have two very short ones. Um, I hopefully will finish my Ron and Nancy Reagan opera this summer. And then I'm talking with... Um, this opera company, Opera Moto, we're trying to get another story off the ground, but like other than that, just, just short operas. And so therefore, um, I can't just produce my own opera and be like, Hey, awesome. 20 minutes later. Okay. You guys can still get drinks because that's the show. And I just charge you <laughs> for like 20 minutes of music. Um, so we, both my librettist and I came up with the idea that why not have a collection of short operas in an evening? You know, kind of like the short story version of operas, and we all have right. short attention spans. And and at the same time, I think the hardest thing about writing an opera is timing. 
Um, and why would you want to fail spectacularly on a grand opera? <laughs> you know, we don't even have like the funds to like rent out a whole orchestra and a whole stage and everything. Do you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. um, and that why not give, uh, composers the opportunity to write short operas. And if we, if we can produce them like, and we like them, so it's actually a twofold thing. If we like them, yes, yes, we'd like to produce them. And then how much it'll cost to produce, like, why not kind of curate an evening, of operas so that that's how we've been rolling um we have a couple of performances coming up one is a production through cincinnati camarada and the cincinnati children's chorus and concert nova um and it's more of like the brainchild of brett scott who's the conductor of cincinnati camarada and we're doing this opera called tobias and the angel which is a 45 minute um, oratorio, um, which is not usually our shtick, but at the same time, we're like, hey, we're also a Cincinnati-based sure. opera company, and we're providing the solace, and why not? It seems like a very cool thing, and the composer's still living, and we dig this. Um, but in May, we're doing a sci-fi-themed opera, Whoa, which is okay. kind of awesome. Um, yeah, we're doing a piece that we did a couple of years ago and, uh, by my librettist and this other composer, um, composer, Rachel, and it's about, um, an, um, an astronaut who's asked to come back home, but she doesn't want to come back home because she hears about all these bad things happening. Um, and we're doing, um, Actually, this one librettist, Dara, who worked with my friend Doug, who like they actually got selected to do the Washington National Opera thing. She did this side project about um, like something. It's like a cabaret sci-fi mind fuck. That's more or less the title of it. And then we're doing like this other sci-fi opera. So it's going to be a fun like sci-fi night, N-I-T-E, kind of like cheesy but at the same time a lot of fun and new operas with the sci-fi theme so we're looking forward to that and as a producer i'm excited we get to use our astronaut costume again because <laughs> <laughs> we bought it so so we are good there i wonder i wonder with your uh with your sci-fi night if you could encourage your your patrons to come like in costume or something we are thinking you know? about that like oh, totally awesome. making <laughs> like a a comic con right yeah do you know what I because we think that would be our good target audience again like i'm not seeing like the the so-called older opera grand opera um concert goers going to our thing it's going to be like almost like an indie like dress up like now i want to do a costume contest Goodness, like, right? I, okay, I, I, I gotta let my board know. I gotta be like, hey guys, costume contest? Question mark. <laughs> 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 Although I really want to wear the astronaut outfit now, but it's for the singer. Like, I do not sing. <laughs> Man. Maybe I have to just buy my own. Oh, just well. buy, yeah, just buy another one. <laughs> I think I will. I think I'll just be like, hey, so I need another one. <laughs> and I will be an astronaut and I will take tickets and introduce everything. So <laughs> sounds like a great idea. I like this. I like this conversation right. we're having. Yeah. So uh, I want to move to uh, the ferry crossing. Yes. And the story, the story behind this piece has to do with riding ferries in Vermont. Mm -hmm. And um, when, when did you live in Vermont? So I lived in Vermont between 2003 and 2007. Uh, was that a degree or were you just living there? 
I was just living there. Just living there. Wow. Seriously. Like, so the story goes is that um, I graduated from undergrad and my Where partner, are you from originally? I am from LA. Okay. All right. It's it boggles my parents' mind as to why I'm in central Ohio right now. And I'm like, <laughs> a job. A job is 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 my thing right now. Um, as I'm sure you understand. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure I, I, you do. Yeah. So um so at the end, I was a little burnt out. I was I was told um, I was studying with Stephen Hartke at the time. He's like, you should have a gap year. He's like, I recommend it to all of my students, and in turn, I'm now recommending it to all of my students. But I lived in LA all my life. Um, never saw substantial snow before. And my partner in the Times like, uh, let's move out of Los Angeles. Let's um, maybe maybe go to the East Coast or something like that. And and then we decided on Vermont. Probably because it was the home of Ben and Jerry's and um, a certain <laughs> Vermont governor, Howard Dean, who was like running for president around that time. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I'm so dating myself right now. Um, so, you know, you know, we uh, a couple of my friends and I, we had the Howard Dean like, ah! oh, my God, ri- for real, as right? a ringtone for a while. Oh. So. Oh my gosh! Like whenever we would get a text, genius. we we would hear Howard Dean. Oh my! I I kind of want to do that. Although I feel like as a former Vermonter, I'm I'm totally pushing for Bernie Sanders right now. I know this is totally not part of your podcast, but just just a fact. But anyway, right. Um. So that that's when I lived in Vermont, and actually, I had to be very specific about that. Um, because the idea um of this uh, Made in Vermont series, they wanted to. A Vermont composer or someone who has connections to Vermont. Okay. So, like, what I find fascinating about the Vermont Symphony Orchestra is they have a new music advisor. I oh, mean, wow. how awesome is that? Yeah. Yeah. Right. How, like, I bet you could count the number of orchestras in the United States with new music advisors on a single hand. Seriously. Yeah. That, that's maybe. Amazing. Maybe. Maybe, yeah. right? Okay, David Ludwig, who's their new music advisor. He's been with the symphony for a while, and I think he was scoping out composers. So he like he sends me an email, and he's like, all right, so are you sure you've been in Vermont? Are you sure you lived there? <laughs> and I think it's like, so, so, so funny side story. So I remember when I was touring with the Vermont Symphony Orchestra, which, by the way, a phenomenal experience – um one because vermont is beautiful and i had to tour with them (laughs) oh shucks i mean to travel with an orchestra but i got to have my piece performed eight times and i cannot think of an instance of where that is ever going to happen again like i was trying to tell my department head i'm going to go on this trip because my orchestra piece did i mention orchestra piece is going to be performed eight times. Did I mention orchestra? Yeah. So, um, anyways, when did, I was did on I, this did tour, I mention tenure and promotion packet? Yeah, that too. That too. We're good. We're good. But at the same yeah. time, I was missing a lot of classes. Like I had to, sure. I had to miss like a week and a half. Um, and you know, I, I still have my Vermont friends. I taught at the Lake Champlain Waldorf Schools at Waterbury Congregational Church as their choir director. Like I have Vermont ties. So David's like, so when were you in Vermont, and um, what did you do there? <laughs> like, it was just, and I'm like, oh no, I did all these things. And trust, I wanted to be like, trust me, I still know when your snow days are because I, I see it online. Like schools closed, or I'll see the pictures from Vermont. Because let me. Tell 
tell you it snows more in Vermont than it does in central Ohio. So I know these things. And he's like, okay, okay, just making sure we want to make sure it's either Vermont composer or a composer with a Vermont connection. And that is something I made very clear to the audiences each time the piece was performed. <laughs> like, I miss it, guys. So there was there was actually there was actually a point in my life where um, my then girlfriend, now wife, um, mm-hmm. worked uh, worked on an. We're both originally from Toledo, and she worked was working on one of the islands in in Lake Erie called. Yes. Uh, was it North Bass or Middle? I, I can't remember which one. Middle Bass, Middle Bass Island. She mm-hmm. was working up there for the summer, and the only way to get to you know the only way to get out there is through ferry. Mm-hmm. So, and I remember the ferry rides when I went to see her being quite peaceful and uh, i mean somehow melancholic just due to our quasi long distance situation at that time but this piece listening to the ferry crossing this piece brought back some of those images and those memories i mean in a good way right but so so was this kind of you you wrote this when you were no longer living in vermont right yes so was this kind of your long distance love letter to Vermont in a way? You know what? I would say yes, but not so much. That'd probably be like 10% of it. I would say that this piece is more like a metaphor. Kind of like this was a time in my life where I was just highly impressionable. I was in my early 20s. I just graduated from college. This is kind of a fantastic point in my life because it's like I moved for no good reason um (laughs) much to the (laughs) shock of my parents like we thought you were moving to Vermont Avenue in Los Angeles no I'm not I'm moving way (laughs) across country um with with my partner at the time um and just this whole like nostalgic um in a way um I wouldn't say a love letter. I would say more of like the idea of the word nostalgia, almost like a painful return. It was oh, okay. a happy time in my life. It's a happy time in my life that I can't physically or literally go back to, but just kind of like ideal and a little bit romanticized, but knowing like where I am now in my life, it's a place that I cannot go back to, but I look to it fondly.
so both both of the pieces you sent me i would say use they they use i i don't want i don't want to call it tonal because i don't i don't see it as that but uh-huh. what would you i mean would you say tr- not traditional but i guess how would how would you characterize the i mean it's pretty tonal i i mean it, like, there might be some kind of like academic mumbo jumbo we can try and figure out uh but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna really waste my time on that um and actually funny story the uh reviewer for the times argus on montpelier who uh jim Lowe, wonderful person we had a great conversation um also very honest person and he said in the review it was terribly tonal and part of me is like dude i think you are right <laughs> you know and i have to admit like while writing this piece i was going like man this is so tonal i must suck as a composer at the same time contractually speaking they're like by the way we're going to rural places in vermont rural like people can't hate it basically is what they right were saying. so so that's <laughs> That's kind of why I was. That's kind of why I was asking this question: Is what I mean? Were did you have constraints placed on you? Because with the you know with the with the Pussy Riot song cycle, uh-huh. like I I get you know I I think I I understand why the materials are the are the way they are. Mm-hmm. But I was also wondering: Are these materials that you typically use? Like, is this is this right in the in your wheelhouse well here's the thing i feel like when i was a younger composer i liked more dissonances and yes now i think i have a complex that i'm getting old and writing more tonal music i think i'm just going like what is going on i don't get it um facetiously of course um i think in prisoner of conscience my harmonies are still kind of a little crunchy um Because and I and I was just talking to a colleague of mine where I'm like, you goodness, I think I did listen to a lot of Beach Boys growing up. You know, I think it's kind of like <laughs> filled with these really complex harmonies. Now, with um with the Vermont Symphony Orchestra piece, I I was thinking of fairies. I was thinking of how placid Lake Champlain was, and yes, there was this little you know, line item that said, and by the way, people must more or less like it. They didn't say it in that manner. Like they were very professional, very nice. And also saying that they only had so many like hours of rehearsal time as a piece of new music goes. And I'm like, okay, okay, I get it. So knowing that it was just more of like a process and there's just going to be something very placid, um, it tended to be tonal and structurally speaking, I actually did come up with a chord progression more or less in the same way that let's say box um c major prelude from the will temper clavier book one where it has this very you know by step we take a c major chord and we do some things with it but then we eventually descend just going step by step by step by step and i thought that would harmonically work or that concept would work, which is the idea of like crossing, you know, which is this very slow, you know, ferry rides could take some time, but you have this slow, very peaceful process to it. Um, and that it more or less had to be tonal, which I will have to say this, this orchestra piece, even though it sounds very pretty and it flows so well was one of the hardest pieces for me to write. Like I had so many drafts and I was going like, my goodness, writing really simple, pretty music is one of the hardest 
artist things because oh I didn't God, want it, it to sound I didn't want it to sound cheesy. Like I didn't want to sound too tonal, whatever that means. Like I purposely try to add some kind of dissonance in there because I do like my dissonances. But at the same time, I couldn't be like bright and happy. Um, I think my second or third sketch sounded too Copeland-like, and I'm like, I can't do that. It just doesn't seem right to me. Like too many open right. fifths because I start with this like horn line, and I was like, let's do horn lines, and I'm like, no, no, too too much like mid-century Americana. No, no. Um, but that it was just it was just really hard to write <laughs> in that regard. Um, if this is more of my wheelhouse, it seems like it is at the moment. Um, although I'm about to write a band piece for Georgia Tech, and I'm hearing not so much tonal stuff. Which part of me is like, goodness, Jen, why can't you write the tonal? stuff for band because they like that and you know or like fun <laughs> fun cool music for band how come you can't write fun cool music for band i'm like i don't know i just don't know so we'll see but i will say for now yeah i've, I've turned let's say terribly tonal for the moment terribly terribly <laughs> Ter- tonal terribly total put that put that in your bio i will <laughs> i should with the quotes there's there's my there's my composer quote that i put in my bio yeah described as terribly, terribly tonal. tonal her music <laughs> is <laughs> don't tempt me i i am now tempted to do it wrong again these, i'm getting so many ideas like costume contests to like <laughs> tape t- pussy right tape piece to like adding the words terribly tonal in my bio i'm loving this <laughs> this is great what are you what are you working on right now the last piece I just wrote actually is a piece for sixth grade beginning band. Oh man. I know, right? See, that I think that would be the biggest challenge for me is is writing for people who are just starting and, and but still making it, you know, something that is challenging but fun, but also artistically you know, it has some artistic weight, I guess, to it. So, yeah. Right. I, I, that must be so difficult. So, funny story. So, I was really, like, okay. So, I was really excited about this opportunity because I was like, dude, I get to write for kids just learning their instruments. Like, how cool is that? Like, I visited the Woodwind Kids, and I'm, I'm writing this for Mason uh, Middle School Band. And they've set up this wonderful commissioning program like uh, uh Micah Ewing is trying to set this up every year uh because he wants the the school and through these grants to commission a new piece of beginning band music for our sixth graders and my composer friends Rob Deemer and Clint Needham have already done this project I believe I am the third composer um they're probably going to do it again next year I think this is fantastic I think it's great mm-hmm. um and that therefore, not only you're teaching kids to like love music and play their instrument, but that there are a certain contingency of people called composers, and that they actually <laughs> live amongst you. They're and, alive, and that they don't have to wear powdered wigs. Although, how cool would that be? Unless it's like really hot outside, right? So, and I'm excited, and Micah specifically is like, and I'm happy that you know young girls get to see that you're a composer. And to me, I'm like, that is that is awesome and badass. 
Like I'm excited about it. And then I'm like, well, what the hell do I do for beginning band? Oh my God. Freak out, freak out, freak out. Like, what if I make some things too hard? And I was actually at the Midwest Clinic last year in Chicago, and I got to have dinner with these, like, big band composers, like uh, like John Mackey and Jonathan Newman and Steve Bryant. And Steve Bryant, like, looked at me going, like, I tried writing a grade one band piece, and it failed. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I have to write one. I said, it is due at the end of January. If I find the secret to it, I'll let you know. And he, they're like looking at me going like, dude, good luck. And even like they're on this panel. They're like, oh, my God, just to write a beginning band piece. We, we can't even. Well, they're <laughs> like, they're they like the big band guys right they now. They are big band guys. And they're looking at me going like, we can't help you. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I mean, not well, like directly say that, but they're like, dude, that's awesome and frightening. <laughs> I think it's yeah. like the consensus. Um, yeah. So I wasn't left completely in the dark, but I think the challenge was how do you make the piece interesting? Right. Yeah. So I actually, I was, I was thinking about, I was at the, um, the new music gathering, this new conference um, in Baltimore, and I heard like a gamelan for the first time, and then just hearing that it's all actually a whole bunch of like straight notes, like eighth notes. Yeah. But how you can have like patterns within it that kind of has a faux syncopation with the rhythm. Right. So that's what I ended up doing, oh, like cool. a three eighth note pattern within their range, and it's all eighth notes within eight eighth notes. So three into eight. Do you know what I mean? So it kind of syncs it up. Now, um, I haven't heard them perform it yet. Um, That might fail. I don't know. (laughs) That to me was like, I'm going to push this. I'm going to. You might have a Stephen Bryant story later in life. I might. I might. I'd be like, dude, I found the key. Although like part of me is like, I, I tend to be a minimalist composer. And part of me thought that this project was a little bit like a dream. It's like, what, I can only use four notes and I have to repeat things? What? (laughs) What? No, you're shitting me. Like, you know, so I actually had a lot of fun. And because I'm a former pianist, I suck at really cool rhythms. So, like, there was no, like, underlying desire to, like, you know, 13-8 this or syncopate all these things. I just, I don't know how to do it. I'm just not that cool at rhythm. So I think the combination of like, I can do lots with four notes and just repeat and repeat and and repeat and that I suck at rhythm, I think helps me write (laughs) beginning band piece. I think we'll see if they trip up on those eighth notes. I will report back to you and be like, okay, I thought I knew (laughs) dude, just don't just nope, shut it down. We're going to have an addendum to this podcast. So did not work. Major fail. <laughs> just just shut it down. Shut it down. Yeah. <laughs> so the the last last big question I'll ask is how, and, and it is a big question, how did you come to music as something that you wanted to do for the rest of your life? Uh, so uh, it's funny because I think as a child, I tried avoiding it. Um, I, I think I was always drawn to music and I was always drawn to the piano and kind of creating music. Um, I just hated practicing. I absolutely hated practicing the piano. I, I really, sometimes I really wonder if composers are created just because they hate practicing because that was my experience. I tell too. you, right? Like, it's like, like I just, uh, you know, I was a percussionist and 
I did not want to practice the music I was learning for a recital. I didn't want to practice any of it. I just wanted to like jam on the marimba yes. and, and write some things, you know? Yes. Oh, I was totally, I was totally improvising when I was practicing quote unquote like i think it really pissed off my korean mother she's like you're fake practicing like no mom no i'm not i'm totally practicing but i'd always add notes like i thought i can do it better than beethoven like because <laughs> i'm like oh this is so boring god, why god that, is beethoven beethoven, he was a hack dude right? i can just like i could just add some ninths in there and it sounds so much better <laughs> um so i would like improvise i just always did that and i just was like you know i practiced i was was pretty good at piano i I could have double majored in it if i wanted to except i was lazy and it was just not my thing and that's and i also wonder if i just i don't think i have the personality as a performer like i have a personality of an accompanist maybe you know but like i'd always like you can hear me play piano but i feel like i i remember distinctly when i was a kid when i started being tall enough where you can see start to see my head over like a shorter upright piano i remember thinking this is not good right i can't i'm starting to be seen but anyway so when i was in high school and i really liked music for films and even though like i remember i had friends who were like in bands and stuff i'm like no dude i can't create anything like I have no original ideas. And now that like I'm more or less, I'm a postmodernist. Of course I don't have any ideas. I just kind of steal from wherever. Um, I realize this is something that I could do, but furthermore, like I remember I was in high school and there was a, an educational outreach opportunity with the LA opera. And at the time they were performing a new opera called fantastic Mr. Fox. And it was written mm-hmm. by Tobias Pickler and they had an outreach and we had like some of us drove up from orange County and uh, participated in like this group composition project. And I was like, okay, I'm thinking about composing. I'm taking a composition class. I'm writing variations where I'm more or less like making other styles, but it was a lot of fun for me, but that we had this group composition and it, we got to write our separate sections. I remember when I had my section perform, it was the coolest thing ever. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is, this is an experience I want to relive. I want to create music. I want to have other people perform it. It, is, and like, it was like victory. It was like, yes, this, this is like more or less my true calling. And I was like, yeah. And at the time and in high school, I thought I'd be writing music for films, which I'd still love to do. Not not shutting that out of my life, but just knowing that this just made sense to me. Like this made more sense than let's say performing the piano or like maybe just going to college and studying something else. Like this just gave me an opportunity to express myself through the form that I knew best and was most comfortable with. 